This is the Howell Creek Radio address for Saturday, November 30th, 2013. I'm Joel Duick. I heard only the barest outline of this story, but it was enough, or felt like it was enough, to fill in the complete picture. One bleak, gray, Novemberish evening a few weeks ago, our friends Abe and Gladys had only just finished their corn harvest and were inside the house. There had been a negotiation over the Christmas music. At first, Gladys would have been firm. No Christmas music until after Thanksgiving, presumably wishing to avoid diluting the season. Abe, of course, agitated for a nearer deadline. Thanksgiving is so late this year, he would have said. We can't wait that long if we're to get our rightful yearly allotment. Eventually they agreed that if it snowed before Thanksgiving and the snow stayed, yes, fine, they would play Christmas music. And true to his Hackett genes, Abe began tugging just a little further on the compromise almost as soon as it was struck. As long as snow was even falling, there would technically be an unmelted snowflake on the ground at any given point in time. And so for him it was enough to say the snow was sticking, even at the very moment when it had first begun falling. That evening a line of snow was advancing. You would have found Abe leaning up against his standing desk, alternately peering out the window and watching the approaching blue streak on his laptop's radar display. The bookshelf speakers already warm and his finger hovering over the play button, ready to unleash silver bells as soon as the first flakes hit the ground. Silver bells, silver bells, silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. This podcast is kind of about music, or maybe even specifically holiday music. But I'm going to have to take you all around the houses first before I get there. Specifically, I have to tell you about three places. The first place is the kitchen of a two-bedroom rambler in the suburbs. When I was 12, I was almost always on kitchen duty after dinner right about that time of day when most of the work was over and I wanted most to escape the confines of the indoors, they put me in the kitchen, the most confined place of all. I seem to remember the hot, smelly dishwater, sermons and inspirational music playing from a small, portable radio, plates and cups clacking against each other, and the tedium of trying to move eight people's worth of dinner dishes and the pots and pans through the washing-drying process with very limited counter space. Over the kitchen sink was a small window which faced west, and I would look out of it while doing the dishes towards where the sun was setting and into a place I had christened The Way Back, capital W, capital B. The Way Back was a largish area between the backyards of all the houses on our street and the freeway. It was too small to be called a forest, but too big and full of trees to be called an empty lot. The way back was like my second home, and the goal every day was to get back there as soon as possible and stay out there for as long as possible. 
and a tension grew in me as I washed and dried and washed and dried, while outside the sun measured out the day's last lighted hours. As soon as the table and counters were wiped and the last pan was drying on the rack, I'd be gone. Halfway down the hill before the distant breezeway door slammed behind me, my dishpan hands drying in the evening air as I ran. You might have thought that my heart was in the way back, since I spent just about every spare minute there. But the way back was actually a compromise, a substitute, or stand-in, for a place even further in the past. That place was Superior National Forest, which covers 3.9 million acres of woods, streams, and lakes in northern Minnesota. That was where I lived when I was six place where mom and I could walk all morning to have lunch on a flat rock in the middle of a stream. And also the place where our barely domesticated pet dog heard the wolves howling at night, yanked herself free of her leash, and left our family for theirs. That forest was my world, in the literal sense of being a whole large world all to myself. As the birthplace of my play and imagination, it was the first, biggest, and best work of fiction in which I have ever immersed myself. And you know, by the way, if I ever move back there, as I someday hope to do, I will join the trees and the mossy boulders as a contented fixture of a perfect place and never be heard from again. Anyhow, the way back, this narrow wooded lot in the suburbs, slapped up against a busy interstate freeway, was a mere puddle next to the ocean of the Superior National Forest I remembered from my childhood, only barely big enough in my mind to compare got its name simply because it was further back from our house than the backyard. Not just back, but way back. But now I think about it, it was also for me a way back. An avenue to a larger and much desired past. I was in the mall with Trixie last Christmas season, or maybe it was the year before. Of course they had Christmas music playing. And I made the mistake I often make of listening to and interpreting the words, the actual words of the song. Last Christmas I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. So, you know, like how I've been thinking about how every year I give someone my heart, whatever that means, because, you know, that's what you do at Christmas, right? So, last year, you know, I gave it to you, and then the very next day, somehow you gave it away to someone else. Like, you, you gave my heart to some uninterested third party. How does that even work? Um, not sure, but it doesn't matter. So, anyhow, I've been thinking about it. I'm, I've got, so I've got a new idea. This year, when I give my heart away, which of course no one would ever think of not doing at Christmas, I'm going to give it to, now this year what I'm going to do is give it to someone special. You know, you know, not just some Joe Schmo. I'm actually going to give it to someone special, someone who, who maybe won't turn around the next day and give my, my heart to someone else. Ever since I heard that song, it's been turning up in stores and elevators everywhere. Somehow this tinny eight-bar jingle, repeated 24 times, has 
along with others, become omnipresent in places of commerce during the holidays. This song is just representative of a whole class of Christmas music that makes me feel like I'm in the kitchen doing dinner dishes again. I just want to get out. It's uncomfortably warm, it's sugary and clacky and confused, a kind of white noise for grown-ups, selected like the music you hear through the phone while on hold, for the same reasons and probably by the same people, because the melody, the vocals, and instrumentation can technically be forced over the air by distant tinny crackerjack speakers and suffer some acceptable minimum of distortion. Then there's another Christmas music scene. Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, all the familiar Christmas carols. You know what I mean. If the mall music is like the stuffy, noisy kitchen, this set is more like the Wayback, a wooded place specially set aside between a row of suburban backyards and the freeway that connects the mall to the airport. It's a place of fresh air and genuine nostalgia. This class of holiday music is really a canon of sincere and accessible praise of the simple pleasures. Lights, warm fires, food, snow falling, friendships. And especially when compared to the kitchen music, there is quite a lot to be said for anything simple which praises the simple pleasures. And yet however pleasant it is compared to the kitchen, the way back is still for me just a compromise and it can still feel confining. The strongest example of this musically in my mind right now is when Trixie and I attended last year's Christmas choir concert at Northwestern College. They opened with a long, specially scripted prayer at the beginning, and then mandated a solemn silence in between each number. No applause until the end, please. Why ever for, I can't begin to imagine. The songs, quaint, harmless cliches set to pastoral melodies, were interspersed with short videos featuring panned Ken Burns-style shots of Christmas tree ornaments and voiceover devotional readings. Technically, the songs referenced everything Christians expect in a set of carols. The baby Jesus, the angel choir, the shepherds shimmering into the perfectly warm stables to smile benevolently alongside the cute farm animals. But it left me profoundly frustrated. This was a college, a place with many books and a profoundly fortunate set of people who get paid to do nothing but learn from the past and explain it to us. They ought to have had a window onto the way things really were and they ought to have let us have some glimpse through it. Instead, all they could do was read us some Bible verses and remind us to take a break from shopping every once in a while. The 1940s and 50s are a long time ago, I guess. At least it seems that way, probably because that was before the age of irony, and it really feels like irony has been around forever. My whole lifetime, at least, to be sure. It's where most of us go most of the time when we want to escape back to a place of sincerity for the holidays. But there is a place a good deal further back and a good deal larger than the 1940s and 50s, which stretches out for more than a thousand years and covers several continents. Yeah. 
the place where our Western practice of Christmas was born, when we first consolidated and later elaborated the midwinter feasts circling the constellation of the virgin birth, the solstice, and the Yule sacrifices. This era, for me, is like the Superior National Forest, a place that looms huge in memory, and when you go back to visit it, miraculously it seems even bigger than you remember it being as a kid. I am not as educated as I most often sincerely wish I was, and after much reading I still do not feel I really understand this place enough to explain it to others or to you. But it is large enough to wander in and to enjoy without needing to understand. And the music is the way back to it. The end. Thanks for listening to Howell Creek Radio. I'm Joel Duick. The original recording and transcript for this episode can be found, along with many others, on our website at howellcreekradio.com. You can go to that website and subscribe via iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, or email, or just listen on the website. I personally am off of Twitter and Facebook until New Year's Day 2014, but uh, I am focusing, in the meantime, on this podcast and on my extremely pleasant blog, The Local Yarn, at jduick.net. <laughs>